Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, last week as we we began this new study through the book of Acts, we we really began looking at the, the birth of the church and really what the purpose of the church in the first century was. And when the church first began, way back in Acts chapter number one, right after the uh, death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension of Jesus Christ, when the church began, the, the church was not a, a place you went to. They, they had no church building. You know, sometimes we think of the first century church and we think, oh, it's the you know, first Baptist church of Jerusalem. And they had a building program. and they had, No, that's not how it was. Uh, as a matter of fact, if we're going to do church like they did in the first century, we need to uh, sell this property and just start meeting in people's houses every week, going down to the market, which uh, nowadays would be Kroger or Walmart. Uh, I do not want Walmart. Someone else can have Walmart and just preaching there and witnessing the people. And get, so if that's how we really want, if we want to do church like the first century did, then that's what we have to do. But so, but in the first century, church wasn't a place you went to. Church was a movement that you were a part of. Uh, it was a movement gathered around the truth of the gospel and the mission of getting that truth to the entire world. And here's, here's an interesting thing we need to understand. The mission came first. God didn't create a mission for the church to be a part of. God gave the mission and then created the church to help fulfill that purpose. So God doesn't have a mission for his church. He made the church for his mission. So if a church is not on mission for God then it's not really a church. And today, you know, I've read a lot of books about church growth and church health and all these things. One of the, the guys I really like to listen to and read is Tom Rainer. And he likes to have, he's a phrase that, especially American churches, because church is different everywhere. Uh, you go to, you know, different cultures and they do church vastly different than they do in the United States. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. And I really get, you know, I get irritated with missionaries who will go to a foreign uh, land a whole different culture and try to force American Christianity on these foreign nationals and it's, it doesn't matter uh, anyway that's a, that's a rabbit trail uh, just for you missionaries out there you know don't do that uh, but anyway and so you know they do church vastly differently but in America it's kind of become a country club mentality you're part of a church as a member of a church the church owes you something and so you have benefits from being a member and benefits from attendance and stuff like that and the church isn't meant to benefit you or to help you or to, to you know, make you a, more better, a better businessman or give you all these perks. The church is a place to come together with other believers and worship the Lord, but also be on mission for God. Together, getting the gospel to the world. So, you know, believers who are not on mission... Even if the church is on mission, but if you're a believer who's not in part of that mission, then you're not really part of a church. Movements move. And so if you're not moving, then you're not part of a movement. So last week when we began this study, we, we saw what motivated these new believers to be a part of this movement. Their hearts were captivated 
by the message of the gospel. Their hearts were, were captured by the truth that God had become flesh and dwelt among them, that God had come down and, and the Creator had become part of creation and lived a perfect, sinless life, had died on the cross the, for the sins they should have died for, had literally become sin for them, had been buried in the grave and three days later rose again, reconciling them to God and redeeming them to the Father, and then had ascended to heaven, promising to send the Spirit and promising to come back and get them, but giving them a mission to do first. They they were captivated by that, and they knew that that was the greatest message that the world had ever received, and everyone needed to hear that message. Everyone needed to hear that God had died for them, and all they had to do to receive eternal life was put their faith and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, and they could be adopted into the family of God. And they were not only captivated by the message, they were, they were empowered, and they were emboldened by the Spirit. They were motivated by the Spirit of God to go out and do the work that God had called them to do. But prayer was a major part of that motivation. They prayed and they lived in fellowship with the Spirit of God. You know, my greatest desire for New Grace Baptist Church isn't for uh, a packed auditorium where we're running three or four services a Sunday because we have to, you know, you know we've got campus churches, we've got satellite churches. That's not my desire. You know, a lot of pastors admit that's their goal. Like, I want to have a, a thousand people in my church and I want to start satellite churches and I want to start, you know, have people watch on a TV in a building as I preach them. That's not my goal. I, don't, I do not want the biggest church or the fastest growing church or a church packed to the gills with people. I want a church that the people that are here are motivated by the Spirit of God to get the gospel to our community, to show the love of God to our community, and then spread it out to the world. I want us to be a group of believers who are dedicated to prayer and dedicated to living in the Spirit of God. I want New Grace to be a Spirit-filled church. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is, it shows what living in the Spirit, what walking in the Spirit, what moving in the Spirit looks like in the life of a believer, but also what it looks like in the life of a church. So this morning as we continue through the book of Acts, we're going to look at the birth of the church and the coming of the Spirit to them. So get your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. I'm going to put the words on the screen. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, now the day of Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It literally means 50, and it's 50 days after the Passover, or I'm sorry, after the, the death of Jesus. So the Passover was when Jesus died, and so Pentecost means 50, and so it's literally 50 days after the death of Jesus, 10 days after Jesus has ascended to heaven. So Jesus has been gone in heaven for 10 days. The church has, has been around and they've been waiting for God to send the Spirit and they've been praying. And so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. That does not mean they all had one Honda they shared. One accord means that they were all focused on the same thing. They all had the same goal, the same purpose, the same desire. To fulfill the mission of God. So they were all in one cord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a much rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are all not these which speak Galilean. So the, the, the gift of tongues that we, we have here, I, I wanted to get into this, but we're not, so I'm going to rabbit trail off for a little bit. This was not unknown tongues. This was not uh, you know, just babbling and incoherent. The people who got up to speak, they spoke, and they thought they were speaking whatever language they knew, they, Greek or, 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 or you know, uh, Aramaic, or I'm going to make it easy, English. But they weren't. They were speaking a foreign language that they didn't know. So it would be like me getting up here and I'm preaching. And as far as I know, I'm preaching English, but I'm actually speaking uh, Spanish. And I don't, I don't speak, I speak a little bit of Spanish, but I learned it from the docs of Chicago. So it's not great Spanish uh, or, you know, very Christ-like Spanish. Uh, but, you know, or, or people speak, I'm speaking English or I think I'm speaking English, but people are hearing me in Mandarin. And so that's, that's the gift of tongues. And it's amazing because they, they get up there and these people are hearing Peter and all these apostles speak in a language that they shouldn't know. And they're like, aren't these people Galileans? That's a, a very kind way of saying, aren't these guys too stupid to know that language? But they knew it anyway. Uh, so that's the, that was the gift of tongues. Uh, verse number 8. <clears throat> and how many, and how, how here every man in their own tongue wherein we are born. And I want you to skip down to verse number 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our, in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So again, the tongues weren't an unknown language. They were all human languages. They were unknown to the speaker, but they were known to those who heard it from other lands. And let's look at verse number 12. And when they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, and again, this, this to me is funny, because first they're like, they're too dumb to know these languages. Then they're like, they're drunk. That's how they know these languages. I'm not sure that, you know, a side effect of drunkenness is speaking a foreign tongue. Um, I know it's speaking in slurred tongue, but I don't think, oh, I got, I'm going to get drunk so I can speak Mandarin. I'm not sure that's how it works. Uh, then verse number 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for they are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So Peter's argument for we're not drunk is it's only 9 a.m. It's, it's not 5 o'clock yet. You know, maybe 5 o'clock somewhere, but not here. So his argument isn't we shouldn't do that or we're filled with the Spirit of God. His argument is you think we're drunk, it's way too early for that. We're not that type of alcoholic. So again, not the best argument in my opinion, but he's trying to get a point across. Look at verse number 16. <clears throat> but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream 
dreams. And so, again, so John, Paul said, Peter says, it's not that we're, we're drunk or it's not that we're crazy or it's not that we're ignorant. It's that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of God. That God said in the prophet Joel that he will pour his spirit out upon his people and that all nations will hear the word of God. Again, all nations, not just the Jews. Up until now, God moved, God worked, God spoke to the nation of Israel. Now, there were some Gentiles who were saved. You would think of Rahab the harlot. She was not a Jew, but she was saved and brought into the, into the, the nation of Israel. Think of, of, of Ruth and all these. There's, there's a few instances in the Old Testament where someone who was not a Jew put their faith and trust in the fact that God was going to send the Messiah to die for their sins. But it was rare. And God didn't go to the other nations. God only spoke to the Jewish nation. Now, God is speaking to the world. He says, I'm not just going to speak to the Jews anymore. I'm going to speak to the entire nation, every nation. So now he's going to work through all nations. Everyone on earth should know of, should hear of, and should worship Jesus. And so being filled with the Spirit, being able to prophesy the Word of God, wasn't just for a few people. You know, God used a few prophets in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, Joel, Jonah, you know, all these people, all these, these Old Testament books that are named after someone, they were prophets that God used specifically. He would speak to them, He would fill them with the Spirit for a while, and use them to prophesy about the Word of God. But now God says, now, I'm not just going to use a select few of people. I'm going to use people from all nations who have accepted me as their Savior. I'm going to use all believers to prophesy and to preach the Word of God. Now, the spirit that was in the Old Testament prophets is now in every believer, speaking through them, moving in them. And Peter, he preaches a sermon at Pentecost about who Jesus is. And so we're, we're not going to read the whole sermon of Pentecost, but Peter, he stands up, and this is the beginning of the sermon of Pentecost, and he starts preaching about who Jesus is and what people did to the Messiah, and that Jesus wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a good teacher, but he was God in the flesh. He had come to redeem mankind, to die in their place, to take their sin, to become sin for them, to give them the righteousness of God and that these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders had been used by God to, to murder him so that he could fulfill the prophecy and fulfill the need to die for mankind. And so after he gets done preaching this powerful message, people come up to him and they say, okay, what do we do? If what you're saying is true, if Jesus was the Messiah we've been waiting for, if Jesus is God in the flesh and he is the one who, who died for us, what do we do about it? And Peter, he answers very simply, repent and receive Jesus as your Savior and be baptized. Now, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Baptism is an act of obedience after salvation. So, you know, people are like, well, should I be baptized? It's not important for salvation. Yes, because it's, it's an act of obedience. God says, after salvation, we are baptized as a public declaration of putting our faith in Him. And plus, being baptized gets you a bigger mansion in heaven, right? Amen? No. 
when you're baptized, you get a, a pool in heaven. If you're not baptized, you don't get one. So that's the, no. And again, I hate that song, I got a mansion over hilltop. No, you don't. But anyway, another rabbit trail. So, you know, it, being baptized is a sign of obedience. And so Peter, when he says repent, he's saying, okay, turn from what you were trusting in, your religion, your legalism, whatever it was. Turn from what you're, what you're trusting in, repent, put your trust in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin only, and be baptized to publicly declare to the world that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. And 3,000 people get saved. They repent, they put their faith in Jesus, and they follow up in believer's baptism. Now, that number is significant. Back in the Old Testament, Moses and the nation of Israel, they're led out of Egypt and they're come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He receives the word of God, the law of God from God, comes down, and Israel is breaking every law God just gave Moses. And what did God do? God killed 3,000 people. In the Old Testament, he killed 3,000 people for disobedience, for rebellion. Now, three, so in the Old Testament, 3,000 Jews die because of their rebellion. Now 3,000 people from every nation accept salvation and are added to the church. And then, of course, they had tongues of fire over their heads. And, and this was a, a symbol because, again, in, in the Old Testament, in the religious system, the fire of God only burned in the temple. That was where the, the Spirit of God was evident by the fire of God. Remember the Old Testament? The, the pillar of fire would sit over the tabernacle. And so in the Old Testament, in the old time, the old covenant, the fire of God was in one place and only uh, certain people could see it and be, and be blessed by it. But now the fire of God, which represents the Spirit of God, is available to everyone who accepts God as their savior. So God was moving, was saying, I'm, not, I'm no longer abiding in the temple of God only. I'm, ab I'm abiding in the believers. You are now the temple of God. Look what the Bible says about <clears throat> this first church. Continue looking in chapter 2, but I want to skip down to verse 42. We're going to read verse 42 to verse 47. <clears throat> and they, believers, the 12, uh, 11 uh, apostles, the 120 people that were with them in the upper room, these 3,000 people who have been saved, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the word steadfastly here, again, says, and they continued steadfastly. The word steadfastly in the, in the Greek, it's a word that means they were devoted to. They were devoted to something. They were so devoted to it that no, nothing could shake them. Nothing could stop them from doing what they had been called 
to do, what they had been led to do. They gave themselves, they gave their things unselfishly in response to the gospel. But what were they devoted to? We're going to look at it this morning. First thing they were devoted to was, number one, they were devoted to the Word. Look again at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly. Again, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Now, here's, here's the key thing there. The teaching of the apostles was the Word of God. The apostles were teaching the truth of the Word of God. They were teaching the Gospel. So they were devoted to the Word of God. Look, your faith that you have to put in Jesus for salvation, your relationship with God after salvation, it grows through the Word of God. You know, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith is based in the Word of God. Now look, in, in, again, in the first century church, they had, they had seen Jesus die. They saw Him beaten and scourged. They saw Him bloodied as He's carrying that cross up the hill of Golgotha. They saw him nailed to that cross and hung between heaven and earth. They saw that when they put them in that in the ground, that as the Bible says every joint in his body came out of socket. They saw him hanging there, beaten so severely that he didn't even look like a man. They saw him die. They saw him pierced with that spear. And they knew he had died. They saw it happen. But they also saw the risen Savior. They walked with the risen Savior. They talked with the risen Savior. So their faith was in something they had experienced. It. They had seen it firsthand. They had lived it. They knew it to be true. But the people who were there at Pentecost, who were coming from every nation, they didn't see it. They were trusting the word of the apostles. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. None of us saw it either. No one who's alive today saw Jesus die, saw him be buried, and saw him rise again. So why do we believe it? Because of the Word of God. Because we read the Word of God, and we put our faith in what it says, and so faith comes by hearing through the Word of God. But it goes deeper than that. You grow in your relationship with God through the Word of God. Because, yes, you learn about God and His death, burial, and resurrection. You learn about His love for you and what He did for you through the Word of God. But it, your relationship needs to go deeper than there. So you learn about His character. You learn about His holiness. You learn about His, his purity and His love and His vengeance. And you learn everything you need to know about how to live a life for God through the Word of God. Not just, look, and look, again, we're in 2022. There are millions of books that you can read that will tell you how to live for God, how to pray, how to be a good Christian, how to do, and you can read all these books. And look, I remember I was, I was watching uh, uh, a, uh, it was a Southern Baptist convention, but Francis Chan was preaching, and he was up there and he was saying, man, all you people, 
all you preachers, you talk about who you've read. And you know, people, oh, I read John MacArthur, and I read J. Vernon McGee, and, and I read, you know, I read uh, M.R. DeHaan. I love M.R. DeHaan. He's a, he's, he's a thinker. And oh, I read C.S. Lewis. Have you ever actually read C.S. Lewis? He was a little crazy. Some of his stuff, some of his books, you're like, what? I watched the, that's why people are like, oh, I love The Lion, the Witch, and the War. I love the Art Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, you love the movie. Read the book. It's insane. You can't understand it. People are like, oh, I love reading. And he's like, you people are so proud about who you read, but you've never read the book. And look, you can read books about how to pray. I read books about how to pray. I read books about, you know, how to get close to God and learn about God. And it's great. I need commentaries to help me kind of understand stuff. But you know, the greatest need I have is not to read a John MacArthur commentary. It's to read the Word of God. It's to read what God... And look, that's why last year we stressed so much reading the Bible. And again, last year... I gave you every opportunity to get in the habit of reading your Bible. If you didn't do it, that's on you, not me. Same thing this year. I've given you every opportunity to develop a prayer life. If you ain't doing it, that's on you, not me. I'm doing my part. You've got to step it up. I can't come to your house every morning to make you do it uh, because I don't have enough time for that. Uh, and I'm struggling getting up in the morning myself. So, But you know, we, we need the Word of God to grow in our relationship. God reveals Himself to us through the Word. And again, we talked kind of about this last week. The culture says that we find your truth within. You know, have you ever heard people, you hear people say, just live your truth? That's a, that's a very popular phrase now. Just live your truth. Your truth is irrelevant. This is the only truth that matters. So if your truth doesn't line up with this truth, your truth is a lie. Don't live your truth, live the truth of the Word of God. Or again, follow your heart. The stupid advice. You know, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. That's why the Bible is so important in your walk with God that we memorize it and read it and meditate on it. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gave some, some instructions about how the Jews were supposed to relate to the word of God. Here's what he said. These words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You know, by the time a Jewish boy was 12 years old, he had the entire uh, first five books of the Bible memorized. Anybody done that? You know, no. I mean, and look, I'll be honest with you. We should memorize Scripture. I have trouble memorizing Scripture. I couldn't memorize the first five books. But they would remember that you would teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. How many of us, when you get home... And you're talking to your family, and you're sitting down for dinner, and you're having dinner with your family. How many of y'all talk about the Bible with your kids and your wife? I mean, I talk about it with April, but that's because, you know, she always asks, what are you preaching on? And I can't just say prayer. I gotta say, oh man, I was studying, this is what God gave me. But I don't, I don't, I don't sit down with Connor and Lex and say, hey, let me tell you what God, I do. And they say, I don't care. But I mean, he says, oh, you're going you're gonna to teach it to your kids. You're going to talk about it in your home. Um, and, when you walk by, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and in your gates. So God's saying, look, if you, the word of God is so important. You should talk about it. You should memorize it. You should write it on your walls. You should put it on your gates. You should... Put it, write it on your hand. The Word of God is something that we, as God's children, should be devoted to. 
But something else we should be devoted to. Number two, we should be devoted to each other. Look at verse 42 again. And they were continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It speaks of an intimate relationship where everything is shared. Now, it's not quite a marriage relationship, but it is an intimate, personal friendship where, where you can tell someone, hey, I'm, having, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me with that? Can you encourage me? Can you give me some advice? And people can be open and honest with no judgment about what they're struggling with. They gave themselves to each other. This is what a church is. It is a group of people who covenant to worship, to serve God together, to be part of a movement. That's why we say the church is not a building. It is a gathering of God's people on mission for God. But here's the most important part of that phrase. It is a gathering. In the first century... They didn't have a building to meet in. That's why they had to go to the, to the markets and to the house to house. And plus, they were facing severe persecution. If they had a building to meet in, they would have been arrested in that building. So they had to hide a little bit. But they were faithful to gather together wherever they could and worship. They do it in, in other nations like in China or North Korea where it's illegal. China's letting up a little bit where it's illegal to be a believer or to meet in the fellowship. They have to meet in secret. But you know what? They meet. In 2022 America, the church isn't a building, but the building's where we meet. The building is where we Gather together to encourage each other, to worship God, to strengthen, to, to correct each other. It is a gathering where we come together to worship. And the book of Hebrews says, not forsaking the, or not for, don't stop gathering together because we need each other. That's why, look, Facebook and folks that are watching on Facebook, not to get to you, okay? Uh, so if you're watching on Facebook and you legitimately are ill, you've got, because I know Miss Trudy's got COVID and she has to stay home, that's great. Mother Marshall, he's in the hospital, he's got, okay, that's what it's for. If you're like, I really, I'm sick and I can't get here or I've, I, I just want to be safe and I can't get, great. That's what it's for. We got people in India who are watching, it's for them. We got people in Japan who are watching, it's for them. Those of you who got up this morning and said, I'm just sleepy and want to worship in my pajamas, it ain't for you. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with our Facebook Live. I loved it when we need And look, a couple weeks ago when we had snow day and had to have it, great for that. But you know what? Yeah, it's cold, but it ain't snowing. So... If, and again, some of you travel. It's, when, it's, when I'm traveling, I watch it on Facebook Live. That's great. That's what it's for. But when you're home, in town, healthy, everything's fine, the roads are clear, gather together. You cannot worship God from home like you can in the building. We have to encourage each other. I got one amen. Look, y'all are here. Y'all, I'm not preaching to y'all. Y'all are here. We're talking to them. So let me say it again. You can't worship from home like you can in the church building. Amen. Tell them to get back here. So Facebook Live was great during COVID because we couldn't meet. But look, we can meet now. So get to church when you can. You know, if you're physically 
able to come, you should be here because we need each other. We should be devoted to each other. So, now Christians need to be part of a church, fellowshipping with other believers. So if you're not part of a church, if you're not faithful to the services, are you not a Christian? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying everyone who chooses to stay home and watch on Facebook are not saved. But, you know, people who, are, who don't have a home, what do we call them? Homeless, right? Homeless people, because they don't have a home, by nature of not having a home, have a lot of health issues they have to deal with. A lot of disease and, and stuff that, because they're homeless. The fact that they don't have a home makes them sicker than people who do have a home. People who aren't faithful to the church, of, to the house of God, to worship God with God's people, because they're not here, by nature, are not as healthy as those who are faithful to the worship services. Now, Christians without fellowship are not healthy believers. Now, these believers... They met in big and small groups. They fellowship daily. They ate together. You know, they were together in homes and praise and worship and praying and serving and in unity. We as believers need to be devoted to each other. I've got to hurry up here. Third thing they were devoted to. Number one, they were devoted to God's presence. Again, verse 42. And in breaking of bread. This wasn't just the fifth Sunday fellowship they had every time. They weren't just getting together and having a meal together. This is talking about participating in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a special time where Jesus promised to show that he, or, or you know, be evident that he was present in a special way in the life of a believer. Now, God is always present with you. If you are saved, God is always with you. God is always present with us in our worship services. But the Lord's Supper is kind of a reminder of that. 1 Corinthians 10 says, The cup of blessing which, bless, uh, which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not communion of the body of Christ. So when we absorb the Lord's Supper, we are just reminding ourselves that we are in the presence of God. Look, that's why I love the Lord's Supper here. We, we only do it about four times a year because we devote the whole service to it. And I just, I just love our Lord's Supper services because it's like, it's a time to really, yeah, God's with us all the time, but it reminds us this is what he did. This is why he did it. And because he did it, he is always with us. And they were devoted to that. They knew that the spirit was in them and they always enjoyed his presence, but they came together expecting to enjoy the presence of God. They came, I mean, they came together expecting to enjoy the presence of God. Do you come to church expecting to hear from God? If you, do, if you don't come here expecting to hear from God, you're not going to. And it's not because I'm a bad preacher. I, I, I know I am. But it's not because I, I can't, you know, it's not because I'm lousy or the singing's bad or whatever. If you don't come expecting to hear from God, you are not going to hear from God. Period. You come to church expecting to hear from God? I can get up here and say, Jesus saves, and you're going to hear from God. You have to come expecting to receive something from God. You expect God to talk to you, to use you, or you just come to sing a few songs, hear a sermon, and punch your spiritual time clock. 
If you're not expecting to meet with God, you're not going to meet with Him. And too many people come to church not expecting to meet with God. Not expecting to hear from God. And look, that's why so many churches have to put on a show. Look, me and April and, and you know, Ian, of course, we've been talking to him. And, you know, a lot of church, you know, we have, we're, we're never going, not only because we don't have the budget, because I don't want to cause seizures and because I don't think it's necessary. We're not going to have the fog machine and the laser lights and the strobes and all that stuff where, you know, and uh, there's one, you know, I love Christmas movies. And one of my favorite is Four Christmases. You may not agree with it. I think it's great. And I, I want to come out of that church service, our church service, like that guy does. That sermon, that preacher, you know, they're, they're playing Aerosmith, and he's come. we're here to worship. We're never going to do that. We're not going to put on a show to try to make you feel something. We're going to sing songs that worship and glorify God. We're going to preach messages that glorify God and teach you the Word of God. And it's up to you to come expecting to hear from God. And if you come expecting to hear from God, you will hear from God. If you come saying, well, I hope the preacher preaches a good sermon this morning because I, gotta, I, I need something. He better keep me attentive. I'm not going to. I may tell some jokes. You may laugh a little bit. But you're not going to hear from God. You need to come expecting. So when God is present, you know it, you feel it, and you respect it. But you have to be open to it. Fourth thing they were devoted to. Here's the final one. They were devoted to prayer. Look at Acts 40, chapter 2, verse 42 again. Uh, and in prayers. They realized that they had to depend on God for everything. So they devoted their life to prayer. They prayed when someone was in trouble. I, you look, later on in the book of Acts, Peter's in prison. Now Peter... While he's in prison, you know what he's doing? He's sleeping. You know what the church is doing? All night prayer meeting, praying for him. Lord, release. And look, God answers a prayer. Earthquake over the... Angel has to go in and wake Peter up. Hey, Peter, it's time to go. But they were praying because they knew the only way God was going to... That Peter was going to get out of it was if God did something. They prayed when they were scared. They prayed when they needed guidance. Jesus had left them totally dependent on Him. He said, hey, you're going to go out and get the gospel to the entire world. But before you do that, the Spirit of God is going to come in you. Because He wanted them to know, here's a task that you cannot do on your own. Because you can do nothing on your own. So they were devoted to praying to God because they were dependent on Him. They, he, God wanted them to know that they couldn't accomplish His will without His presence. So they, again, they pray for ten days. Peter gets up and preaches a ten-minute message and 3,000 people get saved. Maybe I should shorten my messages. I'm not. <clears throat> Why? Because I'm not Peter. But anyway, so he preaches and 3,000 people get saved after preaching 10 minutes. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. I don't got time to get into all this, but they spoke in tongues, they healed the sick. And God was doing this to prove to them and to prove to the world that they were the true messengers of the true gospel. That they were truly used and, 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 and indwelled by God. So does God still do these miracles today? Yes, He does. You know, I've, he, not in the way He did, 
And why not? Why doesn't God work in the same way He did now that He did back then? Because honestly, I think if He did, most of us would be scared. Because what are the miracles? They, they received the Holy Spirit of God and a tongue of fire appeared over their head. If I see your head on fire, I'm putting it out. Can we all agree? And then what happened? There was a, the, the building, not the people, the building shook. Spirit of God shows up, this building starts shaking. You know what we're thinking? Earthquake. We're trying to get out of here. Or there was a sound of a rushing, mighty wind. We hear that and we think, oh, well, you know, the roof just came off the church. We don't, believe, we don't, we don't expect God to act that way. So I think it would scare most of us if it did happen. Now, if we heard the sign of wind, it would be a tornado. Now, we, we, when we see healings, like they do in the book of Acts, because look, in the book of Acts, Peter just walked down the street and his shadow would cross over a sick person and that person got healed. We see that today and it's, we think it's a show. And look, it is. If you think Benny Hinn is real, you're wrong. Why? Because God doesn't do things that way now to, for people to get glory. He did it then so that he could get glory. By Acts 15, these miracles have begun to fade. So God gave miracles to prove that the apostles were sharing the true message of salvation. And their prayers brought the miracles of God. But it brought more than that. Look at verse 44. Uh, again, verse 46. It says that it brought gladness and singleness of heart. The word gladness is the, in the Greek it implies that they were satisfied. They were content. They gave away all their possessions that they didn't need to help other people, and they were happy about it. They found something better than money, than stuff. Look, that's the opposite of our culture. You know, the average, um, the average American spends $1.26 for every, do every dollar they earn. If you're not good at math... $1.26 is higher than a dollar. So we spend 26 cents more for, than we earn over every dollar. The average family has $6,000 in credit card debt and 99% of consumers pay the minimum balance on their credit cards. We spend more than we make. So we can't give. So we can't be generous. We have basements, closets, attics, storage facilities full of stuff we don't use and we don't need. But we've got to hold on to it. How many of y'all have clothes in your closet you can't fit into anymore, but you got them because one day you're going to? We all do. Every I'm going to fit into these jeans this year. No, you're not. And if you do, great, buy a new pair. This is the year I'm going to get in shape. I've been saying that for 10 years. I stopped saying it. Because I said, you know what I've determined? Round is a shape. And the Bible says that God makes the, makes the, liberal, the liberal soul fat, so I'm just a liberal guy. He also says that the wicked man runs when no one's pursuing. So unless you're chasing me, I ain't running because I ain't wicked. So I've lived, I've decided to live with myself. But look, we just have, we have all this stuff. We've got to get more stuff. We've got to keep more stuff. We can't, we can't get rid of our stuff because we've got to have it because we've got to have stuff. That's an evidence that the gospel hasn't taken hold in our hearts. That we hold on to earthly things more 
than we care about the things of God. Paul, while in prison, sang. Peter slept. That was proof of their joy and contentment. They found something in God greater than anything the world could offer them. You know, Paul said, whatever state I'm in, there I'll be content. He said, I've, I've been a base. He goes, I've been rich. I've been poor. I've been a tent maker. I've been popular. I've had power. I've had nothing. And I've learned that no matter how my life is going, whether I'm rich or poor or being beaten or being praised, if I have God, I have contentment. Doesn't matter about stuff. And these early Christians, they found joy in sharing over joy in possessing. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the result of their generosity was more people being saved every single day. Not added at a church service, but being added daily to the family of God as they lived out their faith. So what does it have to do with prayer? Because prayer is where they found their contentment in Christ. It's where they found the courage to live out their faith. And look, it was much more dangerous for them to live out their faith than it ever has been for us in America to live out our faith. But we're not, look, I, again, I'm not talking there, there are believers all over the world who if they lived out their faith would be suffer and die and that's, they have to do that, they have to deal with that. Here in America, it's never been the case. It may, not, it may be one day, but it ain't right now. It was dangerous for these people to live out their faith. They got the courage to do it by praying to God. It's where they got the boldness to be a witness because they, it was where they learned to depend on God only through their prayers to God. You know, these believers, they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to each other. And they were devoted to the presence of God and to prayer. And this devotion was in response to the Spirit of God coming in their lives. They were devoted to the message of the gospel and the moving of the Spirit in them. God came to rescue them, so they devoted themselves to His Word like their life depended on it. God gave Himself for them, so they gave themselves to Him and to each other fully. God gave joy in His presence, so they willingly gave of themselves and their possessions. They didn't need stuff. They needed God. God gave the Spirit, so they gave themselves to prayer. So we have to ask ourselves, are we devoted to these things? Are we devoted to the Word of God? To the family of God? To our prayer to God? If we're devoted to the message, if we're devoted to the church, of God's presence and prayer, then it will be evident in our lives. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.